Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. We are not going to win without a fight. And by all that's holy, I intend to show them something about fighting. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold, and written by Gene Holloway. <laughs> Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who have lived in the White House, dramatic, exciting events in their lives you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of... Mr. President. Our Mr. President drama will begin in just a moment. But first, a word about the background of this series. The American concept of the president as a federal executive is unique in the history of world politics. When our Constitution was framed, many Americans thought president was just another word for king. In fact, some of the titles suggested as appropriate for the new head of state were Your Majesty the President, Your Mightiness, and Your Excellency. But Washington chose President, meaning the one who presides. A wise choice, for an American president is very much like a presiding chairman of the board. To such a coordinator come inevitable compromises, adjustments, and personal disappointments. You'll hear all of this dramatically presented on Mr. President, the biography of responsibility, revealing our presidents as individuals capable of doubt, faith, and anger. Listen for today's personal story of a man in the White House, Mr. President. Here's a story that happened at Washington a few years ago. Listen closely and see if you can tell who the president was. The day was just beginning, and the president was having breakfast with his daughter-in-law. Do you feel all right, Mr. President? Why, of course I feel all right. Why wouldn't I feel all right? Well, I I just thought you might be a little nervous. Nervous? Oh, gosh. What's a little thing like surgery to get nervous about? (sighs) If someone was cutting a bullet out of my arm, I'd certainly be nervous, I can tell you that. Oh, well, you're a woman. (laughs) I certainly hope that doctor knows what he's doing. Oh, now, Sarah, don't carry on. There's nothing to it. But that bullet's been in your arm 20 years. It has not. It's only been there 19 years. And it's high time it was getting out. Where is that son of mine this morning? He's talking to the doctor. What are you all trying to do? Make a baby out of me? No, we just want to help in any way we can. Uh-huh. It's kind of nice at that, having a woman fuss over me again. You know, she used to fuss. Well, I used to pretend I didn't like it, but I never fooled her. She knew. Well, I'm sure if she were here this morning, she'd be in the same kind of a state I am. Oh, probably. <laughs> Tell me again what she did when you brought my husband home to her tied up in the bandana handkerchief. Well, of course, your husband was only a baby then, and a squally one, too, as I recall. Oh, no. Yes, he was. He squalled his head off. But this particular day, he held out his arms and he smiled, and I said, I've brought you a son. And she started to cry. And then what did she do? Right then? Yes, did she take him in her arms? Oh, yes, she took him in her arms. What'd she say? 
Well, she said, uh, she, she... Do you want to know exactly what she said? Of course. She said, young man, you've got to be changed. <laughs> yes, and she changed him. And from then on, he was a member of the family and our own son. Oh, I think he was very lucky to be adopted by Oh, you. a child means a lot in any home. I know. We're going to have lots of them. I hope you do. There's nothing that makes me any happier than to have children around me. Mr. President, are you going to run for re-election? Well, I... Why do you ask that, Sarah? Well, you said the other night you weren't going to, but since then you've said things that made me wonder if you hadn't changed your mind. Sarah, I'm getting along in years. I've had an active life, a busy life. I've worked hard all my life, and I'm tired. I'd like to go home and sit in the sun for the rest of my days. You'd like to? Yes, I'd like to. But you aren't going to. I was talking to some of the members of my party last night. They say that I have to run again to vindicate my own record. I don't think your record needs vindication. Well, that's what they said. In other words, I've got to get out in front of the people and say, well, I've done my best for you. Are you with me or against me? You know the people are with you. The other party says they're not. Oh, well, the other party. The other big reason my party advisors pointed out is that I, if I don't run again, I'm leaving some big problems unsettled. I'm not seeing the job through. What problems? Oh, the problem of the National Bank for one, the problem of nullification for another. So you're going to run? Yes, for those two reasons. And for a third one, my own. What's that? I want to have a hand in electing the next president of the United States. And if I win the election, there's a way I can put the man I want in office. Well, what do you mean? I can have him run on the ticket with me as vice president, and then after a year or two, I can resign and he'll be the president. Well, aren't you crap? Of course, this is going on the perhaps misguided assumption that I can win the election. You'll win it, Mr. President. Yes? I'm ready for the operation whenever you are, Mr. President. No, I'm ready right now. Uh, where are you going to perform this bit of cutting? Right in the next room. Oh, come on. Let's get it over with. I'm coming. No, 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 no. I'm not going to have any women fainting and distracting us. You wait outside. Oh, Mr. President, you're supposed to go to a dinner party tonight. I'll send a note around explaining why you can't be there. Who can't be there? Why, well, you can't. You're being operated Good on. heavens, that's this morning. I'll be there this evening. Why, you seem to think I haven't any stamina at all, sir. Oh, well, it isn't that, but naturally I thought that... Evidently, the president's going to do his own thinking. Will he be able to attend? This man? This man will do anything in the world he makes up his mind to do, whether he's able to do it or not. If he says he'll be at the dinner, he'll be at the dinner. Sarah, would you mind handing me my walking stick so I'll have something to grip? I'm afraid I'll have to be that much of a sissy doctor. Well, we won't tell anyone. Here you are. Are you sure I shouldn't stay? No, no, we'll get along fine, I'm sure. I'll call you if I need you. Well... Oh, Sarah, for heaven's sake, quit acting as though this was something important. I'll be back out in a few minutes. And the doctor says I'll have the use of my left arm again. Now, that's going to be a great blessing to me. Well, I'll be right outside. All right, all right. <laughs> Women get so emotional about everything. If you'll remove your shirt, Mr. President. Oh, surely, Doctor, surely. I imagine this arm's given you a lot of pain over the years. Yeah, it certainly has. But no one would ever take the bullet out for fear of shock or some other fool thing. There you are. That's fine. Now, are you ready? Yes. Yeah, now, just a moment. Just, just let me get a grip on my walking stick. All right, then. All right. Cut away, Doctor.
convinced the president intends to run for office again. And if he does, he's not going to be an easy man for us to defeat. Yeah, but he said he didn't intend to run. Yes, but I think he's changed his plans. And furthermore, I think he's going to have Jack Martin on the ticket with him. But he's just been appointed minister to England. Yes, and we've got to do something about that right away. We've got to put Martin in a position where he can't win the nomination. Well, why do we care whether he wins the nomination? The old man is grooming him for the presidency. If he wins with him this term, then the way is wide open for Martin to run for office himself next term. They could keep our party out of office this term and next term and maybe the term after that with Martin riding in on the president's popularity. Well, if it isn't Martin, it'll be someone else. Oh, the old man won't try so hard to get someone else elected. Martin's the one he wants. Well, what can we do about it? We can discredit Martin politically. How? Well, he's just been appointed minister to England. That's right. His appointment was made during recess. It has not been confirmed by the Senate. I see. So, if the Senate refused to confirm Martin's appointment, that wouldn't look very good for him, would it? It could ruin him politically. That's my whole point. Well, let's get to work. Bandage comfortable? Yes, yes. It <laughs> feels fine. Doctor, I think you did a good job. Hope I didn't hurt too much. No, no, I, I felt worse. <laughs> as long as I had something to hold on to, I was all right. As a matter of fact, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about you most of the time you were cutting. You weren't? No. I was planning a little campaign strategy. I think I have it all figured out how a man can make the jump from minister to England to vice president of the United States. Mr. President? Oh, yes, sir. Attorney General Taney's waiting in your office. He says it's quite important. Oh, thank you, sir. I'll go right in. Good evening, Roger. What brings you here at this hour? Oh, good evening, Mr. President. I wanted you to have the news at once. News? What news? The Senate has rejected the nomination of Jack Martin as minister to England. By the eternal, they wouldn't dare. Maybe not, but they have. They have rejected my nomination? Yes, sir. I'll smash them! They needn't think I'll take this lying down. I'm afraid some of the most powerful men in the opposition are out to ruin the political future of Jack Martin. Well, they're not going to do it. He's going to get the nomination, and by all that's holy, he and I are going to win this election. Why in the world did you ever do such a stupid thing? Why didn't you let Jack Martin be the minister to England? Well, we wanted to ruin him politically. We wanted to discredit him. Well, for your information, you have broken a minister and elected a vice president. Now, I can't agree with you there, Gordon. I don't ask you to. Just watch the election return. How could he even get the nomination in the face of the public insult the Senate's just given him? Listen, people know his name now that had never heard of him before. You've made him a big topic of conversation from one end of the country to the other. Mr. President. Hmm. What is it, Rachel? Oh, it's you, sir. <laughs> you know, you sounded so much like her. I thought it was she who was calling me. 
I, I guess I was dreaming about her again. It's after three, and you shouldn't be down here sleeping with your arms on your desk. You should be up in bed. Well, what are you doing up? Well, I, I got a little concerned about you, so I came down to see what you were doing. Oh, I, I was writing a letter to Jack Martin telling him to come home. But I want him to time his entrance so that when he arrives, he arrives as a vice presidential nominee. You're sure he's going to get the nomination? I'm confident of it. And the opposition, bless their little black hearts, has helped substantially. <laughs> well, now you come to bed. You can finish your letter tomorrow. If you're going to win battles, you have to have your rest. Uh, you know, she would have liked you. You remind me more of her than can I ever possibly tell you. That young son of mine is a lucky fellow. I think I'm pretty lucky myself. Mr. President, why are you fighting so for Jack Martin? Well, for one thing, he's fought a lot of battles for me. And for another thing, I believe in him as a politician and as a gentleman and as a leader. All the members of your party don't feel the same way about him, do they? No, they don't, sir. But all the same, they're going to nominate him at the convention in Baltimore. He's my choice, and I believe in him, and I'm going to fight for him. You've never lost a battle, have you, Mr. President? No. And I'm a little too old to start learning new habits. So you just keep your eye on Baltimore. And when the smoke of battle has cleared away, I think you'll hear the name of my candidate placed in nomination. Gentlemen of the convention, I wish to place before this illustrious gathering the name of a man singularly qualified as a running mate for our great president. It is my honor to place in nomination for the office of Vice President of the United States the name of Jack Martin. Ah, well, we made it. We made it. What did I tell you, sir? You said he'd win the nomination. Yes, sir. We're on our way now. When does Jack Martin arrive in this country? Next week, and then the battle really begins in earnest. But you're going to win it. Of course we're going to win it. We've got to win it. Because I'm not now just fighting for the vindication of my record. I'm not even fighting to keep the presidency for myself. I'm fighting to get the presidency for Jack Martin. And I sincerely believe that this is one of the best services I can do my country. <laughs> In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. No one can prevent people from being prejudiced or hating their neighbors. But we can, however, recognize such antagonisms for what they are. A danger to the nation that is particularly bad in the midst of post-war unrest. What all of us should do as good Americans is this. We should try to rid our individual communities of such antagonisms as racial and religious prejudices. From now on, refuse to listen to or spread stories which discredit members of any race or religion. Remember, division at home weakens the United States on the international scene, too. Group strife here lowers the prestige of the United States among the nations of the world who are looking to us as an example of democracy. So help your community guard against this enemy. Work every day to promote peace and harmony, to build a united America. And now, back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Mm -hmm. 
Have you guessed who the president was when all this happened? It really did happen, you know, in Washington just a few years ago. The campaign for the office of president of the United States and vice president swung into battle positions. The days were busy days. The politicians screamed at each other from platform to platform. And the president, who always loved a good fight, plunged enthusiastically into the campaign. By the time the fight was at its peak, Jack Martin arrived from England. I'm glad you suggested we ride down here by the river. Mm-hmm. Certainly is beautiful today. Yes, it is a beautiful day. Oh, oh, oh yeah. let's dismount and sit on something stationary for a while. I want to have a little talk with you. All right. Oh, oh, there we are. You know, I got very homesick for the sight and sound of this river in England. I can well imagine. It's strange how your hunger for the little things of home, isn't it? The sound of a river, the sight of a mountain, the sweet wild grass smell of a summer afternoon. The way the stars look through a certain window and the way the rain spatters against it. Home is a mighty big word. Made up of a lot of mighty small but warmly cherished things. I suppose you really have to leave it to find out how much it means to you. Yes, I'm afraid you do. You know, it's good to have you back. Thank you. It's good to be back. And thank you, too, for the nomination for vice president. Jack, I want to see you president of this country. Well, thank you, Mr. President. I'd like to see that myself someday. Well, I figured out a way to do it if we win the election. How is that? I'm going to remain in office a year or so and then resign. And you will be the president. What do you say? Well, Mr. President, your confidence in me is the most moving thing that has ever happened to me in my whole life. I appreciate it more than I can possibly tell you. This is real strategy, my boy. Strategy. Please understand that although I feel highly complimented, I cannot accept. You can't accept? Why not? In the first place, the country is electing you, not me. Well, they're electing both of us. No, they're electing you, Mr. President. It wouldn't be fair to trick them. Well, I I certainly didn't look at the matter precisely as a trick. No, I know you didn't. And I know you sincerely believe I would make a good president or you wouldn't consider such a move. But if I'm ever to become president of the United States, it must be at the polls. I must be elected by the people, not forced on them. So, mm-hmm. You're right. You're absolutely right. And I was a fool not to think of it. But on the other hand, I thought that we... Oh, well. This election's going to be quite a fight, too, isn't it? I understand that William Cullen Bryant actually caned a man who was supporting the opposition. Right on Broadway. No. (laughs) Did he really? I didn't think old Bill had it in him. He's such a dignified son of a guy, you know. And a Cincinnati wholesaler has offered $2.50 a hundred for pork (laughs) if you lose the election and $1.50 if you win. (laughs) Well, it's differences of opinion that make any sort of a contest interesting. Well, we've got to get back to work, Jack. We're not going to win without a fight, and by all that's holy, I intend to show them something about fighting. Mr. President? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Roger Taney's waiting to see you in the office. Oh, really? I'll go right in. Now, how are you coming along with the packing? Oh, packing's always a nuisance. Yes, I'm certainly going to miss you, too. But I'm sure you'll be happier and more comfortable at the Hermitage. 
I wish I could go there with you. Well, I'd better see what Roger wants. Oh, hello, Roger. Well, I'm sorry to burst in upon you like this without an appointment, Mr. President. Oh, that's perfectly all right. What's troubling you? It's the question of the bank, Mr. President. Now, as you know, I am opposed to the Bank of the United States having its charter renewed. Yes, you've made that very clear, Roger. Well, I've been watching the discussion in Congress very closely, and I believe those on the side of the bank are going to win, sir. I believe Congress is going to vote to renew the bank's charter. I see. Mr. President... This is going to mean a concentration of power in the hands of a few men who are not responsible to the people. Yes. And with the government funds large in the Bank of the United States, that gives entirely too great a centralization of power under private control. Mr. President, if you intend to fight, you must fight now. For once the charter is renewed, it's too late. If Congress passes the bill renewing the bank's charter, then I shall veto that bill. It's only fair to remind you that if you do, sir, you may lose the election... The bank has a lot of supporters. I don't believe the bank is bigger than the government. If the bank thinks that it is, it is time it learned its proper position in the scheme of things. I shall veto that bill. And if I lose the election, then I lose the election. No matter what the cost, I shall veto the bill. veto message completed? Yes. It's ready to go. And this is what I said. It is to be regretted that the rich and powerful too often bend the acts of government to their selfish purposes. That's going to be a lot of ammunition for the opposition. Let them use it. Let them say what they want to say. I'm ready for them. For the first time, perhaps... In the history of civilized communities, the chief magistrate of a great nation is found appealing to the worst passions of the uninformed part of the people and endeavoring to stir up the poor against the rich. The president's veto wantonly attacks whole classes of the people for the purpose of turning against them the prejudices and resentments of other classes. It is a state paper which finds no topic too exciting for its use, no passion too inflammable for its address and its solicitation. There, that's what Daniel Webster had to say about the president. <laughs> well, he's lost the election now, boys. He's lost the election now. Our man is in. <laughs> President, what a surprise to have you come to the Hermitage. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. Well, I felt the need of a little peace and relaxation. You know, it's pretty um, hot in Washington just now. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Well, your rooms are ready and waiting for you, just as they always are. Well, I certainly miss you at the White House. Where's that son of mine? He's out with the overseer. He'll be back. How goes the election? Well, they say I lost it, Sarah. Who says? The opposition? The opposition and my party, too. And what do you say? Do you know what she always used to say? She always used to say, let's not jump to conclusions. Let not, let's not try to decide what way the wind will blow. Let's wait and see. 
Oh, she was a wise woman. She knew you couldn't tell how a wind was going to blow or an election. And if I lose it, I can come down here and retire, which is what I wanted to do in the beginning. How long can you stay? Only a few days. I've got to get back to Washington and see this fight through. most peaceful election night I can remember. Yeah, oh, it's a good feeling when you know your candidate is in. Well, I hope he has his acceptance speech ready. Oh, I'm sure he has. <laughs> well, we ought to be getting some returns pretty soon. Oh, hello, Gordon. What's the good word? Did the news come? Yes, the news came. And I'm not sure you're going to think the word is good. What do you mean? The president was re-elected by a landslide. What? That's impossible. He didn't have a chance. Yeah, maybe you thought that. Maybe he thought it. Maybe I thought it. But evidently the people didn't agree with us. He's in. Congratulations, Mr. President. Mr. Vice President. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. I'd certainly like to add my congratulations, Mr. President. Thank you, Roger. I think you did a courageous thing in risking the election by vetoing the bank when you did. No, no, Roger. I wasn't running a risk. If you're acting for the people's good, they have a way of knowing that no matter what your enemies say about you, the people, God bless them, will go down to the polls and tell you they're with you by their votes. And by all that's holy, I'm glad I ran again. <laughs> Well, you've probably figured out by now who the president was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. That greatest of all ballad singers, Burl Ives, will be singing folk songs in his own wonderful style this evening over your ABC station. The Wayfaring Stranger is featured in a program of early American music, folk melodies, and work songs. The great American poet, Carl Sandburg, has called Ives the mightiest ballad singer of any century. And we know you'll agree that hearing him sing a folk song is an experience that's to be treasured. Now you can listen to Burl Ives every Sunday evening while Walter Winchell is away. The Wayfaring Stranger has made a life study of American folk music, and his songs come from every part of the country. Be sure to listen to Burl Ives tonight over your ABC station. And now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Mr. President? Yes, Mr. Vice President, I am indeed. It's a cold inaugural day. There's snow on the ground. I won't be cold today. The people have sustained me and warmed me. I won't be cold. You must be very proud. You'll know just how proud yourself someday when you take the oath and become President Martin Van Buren. You're sure I'll get there, aren't you? I'm as sure that you're going to be President Martin Van Buren as I am that right now, I am President Andrew Jackson. Come on, boy. Let's go and get inaugurated. Hmm? Uh, 
with us again next week, won't you, for another exciting story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Goodbye. Edward Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Madame Bovary, starring Jennifer Jones, James Mason, Van Heflin, and Louis Jourdain. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It was produced and directed by Dick Woolen. Today's story was based on incidents in the life of President Andrew Jackson. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.